see if you clap me when I've finished. Anyway, it's really great to be here, and I've been looking forward to coming, and I do want to express my appreciation for Phil and the leadership team here, and the way in which we are one in the Southern Counties Baptist Association. Now, in a way, uh, a Baptist Association is not the... uh, thing with the biggest profile. It's a service industry in a way so that we come alongside pastors and leaders. We give encouragement that churches should be missional and getting out there and proclaiming the Lord Jesus in every aspect of life and also to be heads up Um, somebody like me and my colleagues also get involved in stuff when things go wrong and that can be difficult but you know um, if you dial 999 you expect the police or the ambulance or the fire department to turn up don't you and that sometimes has to be our role so I do ask you to pray for us in, in those difficult circumstances sometimes the you know the relatively minute difficult circumstances say two or three percent of what we're doing can become really really big and get you down so we, we need people like you please to pray for us that we keep this kind of stuff in proportion and that we're grounded not so much in the stuff of the world but in the Lord Jesus Christ as we've been expressing in our worship this morning. I really do commend you for the cornerstone group that you have got. It's a a model and a leader for us as we seek for our churches to be more engaged with each other. And uh, for a couple of years or so, I was uh, together with my family seen worshipping at Bidford because my daughter lived there for a while and uh, she's now moved off to Cheltenham. And um, it was really great to be involved in in that church there and to see the way in which it has been growing so much. And I think that April Fool's Day is a big day, isn't it, for you? So (laughs) being a fool for for Christ's sake and that this, this wonder that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men and women. And this really is under the heading of discipleship, what I want to be talking about just now, about God's ways in our lives as disciples. And I'm going to read from the scripture in the second book of the Corinthians chapter 8 and the whole of the chapter. Paul's second letter to Corinth really I think is one of the most winsome and loving and caring, but it's also one of the most realistic because what I was saying about stuff going wrong, there's tons of it that goes wrong in Corinth and Paul has to be a man of God to speak tenderly but with truth. And this chapter gives us, as you'll see in the PowerPoint presentation, three ways of understanding our being and role as disciples. And now, sisters and brothers, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They gave themselves 
to God and to us. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. I thank God, then, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service in the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. And we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men and women. In addition... We are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Thanks be to God for his word. So as the PowerPoint starts, you'll eventually see three slides, one after the other, and um, they're simple and direct. What we're going to be thinking about this morning, friends, is discipleship, and I've been pleased to be aware of the vision here for the church, building on the right foundation, proclaiming Jesus Christ and making disciples and it's in that part that we're looking today at discipleship and as we think about discipleship from this passage I'm going to also be talking about discipline 
the disciplines of Christian living. Um, certainly in my, fly, my lifetime, and there are some of you here, I think, who are probably at least as old as me, if not older, you will know that things have loosened up in church to a large extent, and that's absolutely fantastic because, you know, really when I hit the scene at the beginning of the 70s, it was a bit stuffy and so on, and I praise God for the way in which his spirit has loosened things up. But you knew there was a buck coming, didn't you? <laughs> One of the problems is that it can be too laissez-faire, too do-as-you-like. And what we really need to do is to be disciplined by God so that we can be his disciples. And again, disciplined kind of has a hard edge to it, which we might, you know, emotionally inside um, react against. But actually, to be disciplined by the Lord is joy and salvation. So we'll look at some of the disciplines that arise out of what we're going to learn from this passage. And the great thing which has drawn me to this passage for today is there in verse 5, which really just recently has kind of hit me between the eyes. That first of all, it is all to do with God. Dead simple, but it's a reminder that we need. You see, all this stuff in 2 Corinthians, and particularly in chapter 8, what happened was that there was a famine, and so the churches got together and they sent an offering to relieve the saints, as it says in the old version. But stuff happens whenever you do something like that, and what you can read between the lines here is that there's been all sorts of stuff going on, and Paul is trying to address that. But before he does, he goes back to basics, first of all, in saying this business of being a Christian, of being in church, of being in fellowship together, of being involved in the mission of God, is all about, first and foremost, giving ourselves to God. Giving ourselves to God. That's what discipleship is. So much has been said and written about discipleship. Trying to interpret the words that are used. For example, right at the beginning of the Gospels, you get Jesus calling his disciples. In Greek, it's the word methetes. Those who are followers. Those who are yoked to those who are organically and spiritually part of the one who is the master disciple, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the gospel in Matthew, for example, we get the great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples. But again, going back to basics and the simple stuff, when Jesus first called 12 disciples... He called them to be with him, to be with him. It is as simple as that. We could read till we're blue in the face. We could try and interpret and decipher words until we go crazy. The simplicity, the wonder of the simplicity is that Jesus calls us to be with him. And he calls us to give ourselves to him first of all. I remember when I became a Christian, I need to remind myself of this more often than I do, but I'd been at an evening service and I felt God speaking to me and I didn't do anything about it and I went home and there on my bed in Hardy Crescent in Leicester, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, went and told my pastor and soon after I was baptised. 
Whatever else has happened in my life, that is the keystone for me. It was the introduction to Christ, and I want to keep going back to that, that first of all, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that self-giving, therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ is my master. I am discipled to him. And that is the fundamental thing, that we first give ourselves to the Lord. We first give ourselves to the Lord. This is so important, and it helps us to understand who we are, where we should be, and what we should be doing in his service and for him. Fast-forwarding, I think of another experience that I had when I was in Coventry. I was pastor there for eight years together with my wife, Alison. And I remember when I'd taken on uh, a certain load of stuff there that I was beginning to ask myself, what have I done moving from Newbury to to Coventry? And um, I went into the cathedral. And as I was walking around there, I looked at the, the pillars. You know the story of Coventry Cathedral getting bombed, don't you? They built the new cathedral. And on the pillars... Carved in the stone are the words of the gospel. And on one of these pillars, there is this stark message, I am amongst you as one who serves. I am amongst you as one who serves. And I had a reorientation of my life and ministry. It was no longer about me getting getting the church to do what I thought the church should be doing, but rather stepping back, loosening up, and seeking God and the Holy Spirit to do the thing that needed to be done in that church which was in transition. I am amongst you as one who serves. And therefore, as disciples, let alone leaders, as disciples, our task is to be like Christ. There are all sorts of ways and means by which we can do it, but the fundamental is this, that Jesus is amongst us as one who serves. Therefore, we as disciples are to be those who serve as well. The discipline of being a disciple is that we have a servant heart. And we do need to be disciplined in this through our reading of Scripture, through our seeking of the Holy Spirit, through our sharing together in fellowship and receiving the vision that comes from the Holy Spirit as to who we should be and what we should be doing. But fundamentally, it is about serving, not lording. Jesus did not come to lord it over us, but rather to be amongst us as one who serves and who gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And now, as Paul said, the life that I live is no longer my own, but the life I live is in Christ Jesus. So the discipline of discipleship is living in Christ and in the way of Christ. In Christ and in the way of Christ. So everything comes back to, first we give ourselves to the Lord. On those few occasions when a regional minister has to go into a situation where there is strife and difficulty and where there will be anxiety all around and not least uh, amongst uh, the leader or leaders. 
what needs to be done is no great pyrotechnics and you know, making out that one is greater than the other and knows more and all the rest of it. It's simply to speak an apostolic word that first of all, going back with the guy to the point where they first gave their life to Christ and were called into ministry, for example, to say, uh, how did you do it? What did you do it for? What was it all about? Go back to basics. It is about serving Christ. And sometimes we have to say, if serving Christ is no longer his will in this particular way and place, so be it. But when you abandon yourself to Christ, you allow him to be the one who leads. So, First, they gave themselves to the Lord, but then it goes on as we move to our second slide. Then they gave themselves to us. So we move on to a different aspect of discipleship. Of course, it's grounded in our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But discipleship is more than just our relationship with Christ. It is our relationship with each other as well our relationship with each other. We cannot be lone rangers and really be credible as disciples. We need each other and we need to be with each other. So in the course of this exhortation that Paul was giving to his readers, he was saying that just as you excel in everything, see also that you excel in the grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. Well, the background of this story is about money, but it isn't really about money. The background of this story is about our appropriate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and how the Holy Spirit guides us. Money is a means to an end, and it amazes me how sometimes so many churches, as it were, walk with one leg tied behind their back because the people in the church will not give generously, will not tithe the work that God will do through them. And then they complain that they haven't got enough. What this passage is saying is that the more you give, the more you get. Now, the heart of this discipleship and the discipline from it is that we need to be a generous people. A generous people. And that generosity needs to be expressed in our discipleship together. Our discipleship together. So that we love each other, we care for each other, we are part of the body of Christ together, and therefore we excel in loving each other. Phil alerted me to the fact that you have questions in your home groups and asked me to give uh, some questions that you might be able to discuss. And one of the things I thought was very interesting was to just look at this verse 5, going back to verse 5, what it actually says there, what Paul says and what we have in the word of God, is not just that they gave themselves to God first and then gave themselves to others, but they gave themselves to others by the will of God. And I think this, this uh, little um, clause in verse 5, by the will of God, is the kind of direction and definition of what we do in our, in our discipleship together. And I, I was with my daughter the other day, not the daughter who used to live in um, Bidford, but a daughter who lives in, in Leicester, and who's a member of uh, Sutton in the Elms Baptist Church there. And uh, M- Miriam, uh, as I speak, 
And I remember her, her being baptised, and she's a sort of serious girl, if I can put it like that. Lots of fun as well, but um, really does think deeply. And uh, I just shared one or two things about this with her, as we had the chance. And she said to me, Dad, somebody put it to me like this, that there are friends that we have for a reason, there are friends we have for a season, and there are friends that we have for life. Okay, now it took me a long while to get my head around this, so you know you, you may not get it at the moment because I n- might not be putting it over as, as well as I might. And I'm not just talking about friendship, I'm talking in, in the aspects of, of discipleship. The question that I've put down here is how do we decide what and how much we do for other Christians? How, how do we decide about our discipleship relationships? Because, you know, you cannot have the same relationship with 250 people. Now, there, ha- there have to be gradations, not because of favoritism, but because of realities and the way in which things come together for a season or a reason or some particular issue, you see? So the question that we have to answer is, how do we decide what and how much to do for others? Discuss the two dangers, doing too little and doing too much. How can we get the right balance? Now, I'm a pastor, so I will talk about it from a pastor's perspective because I've always in my churches been very keen for people to be discipled. And sometimes, I'm speaking a bit off the cuff here, so this could be either boring or dangerous. You choose which it's going to turn out as. Um, I've had some people come on to me And they've wanted more and more. And you give them a bit more and then they want a bit more. Um, Needy people, as indeed we all are at times, aren't we? But at some point you have to say, well, I cannot meet all of your needs, but I can lead you to the one and to the place at Calvary and in the place of resurrection where those needs can be met spiritually by the Lord. So these things are, I think, are really helped. And that um, saying of, of, my, of my daughter's, that, um, I mean, she, she had a number of friends at university, and uh, one of them has stuck. One of them has stuck, Jill. And it doesn't mean to say that the other friends are no longer friends, and they don't matter, and they're not important, but there is one who looks like it's going to be a friend for life, a, fre- a friend for distance, from whom they learn from each other in their Christian faith. But inevitably, for that to be the case, there will not be other relationships which grow and flourish. The discipline of understanding what we do and how by the will of God That clause in verse 5 is so important and it takes discipline, doesn't it? I'm not talking about being clinical and hard and saying, I'll speak to you, but I won't speak to you, but rather being discerning. As Paul was saying, these things need to be worked out by the will of God. But one way or another, a disciple will be a person who gives. A person who gives. And Whilst a tithe is right and appropriate and very handy for church finances, again, it is the giving of ourselves which is the most important thing, isn't it? The giving of ourselves. You may know of the very moving story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His life 
came to its close and his ministry to its highest point during the Second World War. He had got a chair to be a professor in America and went off there just before the war began about 1937. But God impressed it upon him that America was no place for him to be when in Germany all the stuff was going on that was going on and the church desperately needed leadership so he came back and he eventually came back to martyrdom. But what he did was to set up a kind of alternative church because what was happening in Germany, you probably know this but just put it in context, was that the, that the authorities were going round churches taking down the cross and putting the swastika up instead. And that was idolatry. And Bonhoeffer had to oppose it. And in opposing it, he set up at Finkelwalde his own community for training pastors that those pastors would be the sort of discipled and discipling people in that nation at that time for the sake of Christ. Okay? Giving themselves first to God. And he wrote one of the most wonderful books I've ever written called Life Together. And Life Together was like a training manual for the students at Finkelwalde. And he impressed upon them the urgency of their life together, not to be lone rangers, but to live together for the sake of Christ and for the sake of mission. We are decades away from that, aren't we? In these southern counties... We're not facing what some are facing in Syria. Who knows what may be the case within a decade? You just don't know. The Arab Spring, as it were, came out of nowhere. But the question for us is, are we sufficiently disciplined to be and to do for God instead of just to do what we want? And then when it isn't what we want, we'll become lukewarm or we'll wander off. And therefore, the radical nature of the missional kingdom of God gets lost. See that you excel in this grace of giving. The grace of self-giving amongst disciples for the sake of Christ to whom we have given ourselves first and foremost and initially. And so, moving on to our last slide, I want us to look at this amazing stuff about the gift actually being conveyed and delivered. And in verse 23, there is this marvelous verse where Paul, you know, in, in, in the verses around, is falling over himself to give um, compliments and commendations about the people who are going to handle this gift. And if you are looking at these questions in the groups during the week, I pose this question, um, how many people did it take to convey this gift to Macedonia? It's like how many deacons does it take to change a light bulb, isn't it? You know, there's, no, there's no end of them involved in this, but why? Why? And the key reason, the key reason is partnership and working together. Partners and workers together in verse 23. The churches which make an impact, and if you'll forgive me for putting it so directly, like is happening in the cornerstone churches, are the churches which give themselves to Christ, which do it together with other disciples, and which are committed to working together as partners and workers. And of course, 
as I reflect, I remember in my churches that there would be people who would be partners, say as elders and deacons and leaders, and I'm not differentiating, but where would I have been without the workers in my church? who actually were prepared to do something and get on with it and to, you know, sweat a bit and to sacrifice a bit. It's the stuff that makes the world go round. Partners and workers together. So there is the discipline of giving ourselves to Christ. There is the discipline of giving ourselves to each other and there is the discipline of being partners and workers together in a transparent way. When things do go wrong in churches, it is often to do with a lack of transparency, that there will be people who've been doing things and aren't prepared to give it up, or people who want to do something and they get on and do it without taking the whole family of the church with them. I remember when I was in Coventry that um, I found that I'd gone to a church um, a long history, about 300 years, and it had reached something of a, it had bottomed out in a way. And um, that what, what had happened was that a, an inner ring road in Coventry had been built, and therefore a, some of the land of the church was taken away, and the actual neighbourhood and district of which the church was part, it, it had been excluded from that by, by this ring road. And so there would have been no reason to go down those side roads unless you particularly wanted to go to one of the shops or one of the little housing areas or to a church down there. So it had become marooned in a way. And I felt that something had to be done about this. So I suppose as I reflect, I've got to reflect you know, the extent to which I was pushing things and the extent to which people might have been feeling, well, we're not partners in this because of whatever... So there was a, and, and anyway, the, 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 the gist is that we decided to build a sort of community centre around the old Victorian church, and that community centre is there now and alive and flourishing. But A, it meant a lot of change, and B, it meant a lot of money because it cost a million quid. And of course everybody said, well, we haven't got a million quid. And um, being assertive as I can be sometimes, I said, well, we have got a million quid. It's just a question of unlocking it, isn't it? And um, there there was a group that got together, and they weren't very happy with their pastor. Um, That is EO, you see. Um, and I remember getting quite stressed about this and you know, thinking, well, don't they see and you know, they're not for the gospel and all the rest of it. And what I decided was that I had to step back. So rather than to bulldoze my way through, um, which I think my wife would probably tell you I'm fairly good at doing, um, I, I decided to, to step back. And, and I've really felt under compulsion of the Holy Spirit that this is what needed to be done. And so I handed it over to one of my colleagues, and you know I was still involved and, and whatever. And uh, well, fast forward, we, we got to the church meeting, and of course I was very keen that this would happen. So you know I was was a bit you know <laughs> on tenterhooks and so on. And um, I remember that the whole thing had been presented, and the people were allowed to vote by secret ballot, which I don't normally agree with, but that was part of the transparency because some. Well, you see, somebody had said, everybody will vote for this, but they'll only vote for it because of Grenville, you see. So they said, you know, people need to be able to vote. So I said, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. 
There were 109 people at that meeting, and when the result was declared, there were 108 in favour and one abstention. I thought I knew who the one abstention was. Okay? I mean, I was astonished that there was only one abstention because some people were breathing fire and saying it wasn't going to happen, but there was one abstention. And under the discipline of transparency and of appropriate behaviour, I said no more to anyone about it. Five months later, virtually to the day, this guy, which was a surprise to begin with because I thought it was a woman, this guy came to me and said, Grenville, I want to tell you that I was the person who abstained. And I said, Bernard, you, you don't need to tell me, that's fine. And he said, no, I want to tell you because I abstained because the task wasn't big enough. We could have done more, you see. <laughs> and, you know, I was spaced out, absolutely spaced out. But the transparency that is needed sometimes from a leader and a pastor is to give the whole thing back to God. Because at the end of the day, the Southern Counties Baptist Association isn't mine. At the end of the day, Coventry, Queen's Road wasn't mine. It's God's church. And we need to have this sort of attitude that we're not lone rangers, but that rather we need each other. And sometimes the multiple ministry, which again, is one of the fantastic things that's happened in the last three or four decades in our churches. It used to be Lone Ranger ministers who were in charge of the church and bore all the burden. And no wonder there was stress and no wonder you know, ministers would act inappropriately. But now we have multiple leaderships and that, I believe, is leading to a great way of the church being more the body of Christ that God is calling us to be. So, once we've given ourselves to God, that's all there is to it, isn't it? Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Let's pray, sisters and brothers. Father God, we acknowledge before you now that we do not always find it easy to put you first. Forgive us. Redirect us. Call us back to yourself again so that that first encounter, that first love with which you blessed us may thrive and flourish to our blessing and to the blessing of those around us and Lord, to the blessing of your heart as well. Lord, we've been thinking about how we can give so much. We, we cannot give everything to everybody that asks. But we believe that by your spirit, you direct us in special relationships for a reason, for a season, sometimes for life as in marriage that we've been celebrating in this fellowship just yesterday. We pray that you will give us wisdom, that you'll give us the discipline of thinking through 
how we should be and what we should do. And Lord, we thank you for your church on the march around the world, directed by the Holy Spirit. And we pray that there may be true partnership, true servant ministry, true working for the sake of the fellowship of the gospel. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you will grow in us your very own life by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more like you. And as we become more like you, so we want Lord Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, to give you all the power, honor, and glory now and forever.